Join myself and Jason at MicroConf 2011, June 6 and 7 in Las Vegas. For more information, go to microconf.com and enter in TechZing to get $100 off a ticket. Welcome to episode 130 of TechSync, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Today, we're coming to you from California on the day where the world is going to end in approximately six hours. Wait, I thought it was supposed to have already ended. Oh, really? I don't know. I may be wrong. I, th- I thought it was uh, six o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time. Oh, really? So that would be 3 p.m. our time, right? Yeah, I thought this show was going to be post-apocalyptic, but maybe it's just right before the apocalypse. It's mid-rapture. Yeah, it's the calm before the storm. Yeah. Are you feeling raptured at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Is is it like in Star Trek, you know, when they get on the, um, what's that thing that teleports them? What's that called? Uh, Not the holodeck, the the transporter. Is that the transporter? You know how the the transporter, it has like these light part, it like turns you into like these light particles. Yeah, and your 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 being is being, uh, you know, somehow uh, pulled up into pulled into the ether, that kind of thing. That's what you think the think of the rapture. That's what I think. That's what I think it would. Yeah, that's what I'm guessing the ra- being raptured would be like. <laughs> I, I find it amazing that this guy who basically has has a kind of religious radio station has managed to really really sell this to millions of people. Like, I mean, there's there's millions of people who believe and who are just ready for the big deal to happen right now and he's been wrong before that's the funny thing (laughs) (laughs) this time i'm really serious in 94 like basically he's he kind of deciphers um deciphers uh his his numbers from the bible just making up random numbers and then come comes up with a date and apparently this is the date yeah well uh there's a facebook group called post rapture looting (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome this is more info. When everyone is gone and God's not looking, we need to pick up some sweet stereo equipment and maybe some new furniture for the mansion we're going to squat in. <laughs> oh, dude. Uh, let's see, there's 783,000 people attending. But what, what, is, what is this guy going to do when, when it doesn't happen? Like, what's he going to do? My bad? I don't know. Go back to the drawing board. That is just know. crazy. You know, there's one guy, there was an article I, I read, uh, actually, I think Sandy read, she told me about it, was this um, this guy create like a, a service that you can sign up that he'll come out and pick up your pets after the rapture. <laughs> and I guess he had like 250 people signed up for it. Yeah. Like $100. But, but, well, I don't get it. Why, why, why is he doing that? Well, if, if, it's, if you're supposedly going to be raptured, it doesn't mean you're cat and dog and parrot are going to be raptured so they're just still sitting here in your house so he's going to come by and 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 take them and take care of them which or wouldn't wouldn't he be raptured well i guess he's the assumption is he's not going to be raptured he's saying look i'm not going to be raptured but i'll take care of your pets oh okay so what so what happens with the rapture is all those people is it like they go on the transporter to heaven and then everyone else stays behind yeah i don't know a whole lot about the rapture, but i think that's it i think there's some percentage of the people like you know some I don't know, some mil- number, you know, I think f- I heard different numbers, 5 million, 200 million. I don't know. People get raptured and then everybody else kind of just, it's, it's going to really suck here for a while. 
Oh my god! Like that. All right. Well, Har- Harold Camping is the guy, and and if it happens, I mean, just just go- just googled, <laughs> just googled Har- Google Harold Camping Rapture to find out all about it, and there's just loads <laughs> of stories about it. And they they he spent like the the in- the interesting story that I found, the interesting article I found was how Harold Camping marketed the Rapture, and basically he's just put millions into it, like mi- like his his radio station's worth 150 million. He spent like uh, I don't know, what is it? 20 million on on different, different yeah billboards and stuff yeah that's amazing social social advertising and just oh my god yeah i, w- I was listening to someone on the radio a couple of weeks ago and uh, they were talking about this and they were talking about the fact that you know these sort of end end timers end of world apocalyptic predictions are uh you know they they're very common they've been obviously happening for thousands of years there's always people predicting you know the end is nigh <laughs> you know the yeah. end no, but a lot of them have learned not to be too specific with it because it's obviously <laughs> yeah. Especially point. Nostradamus, so he was he was good. Just be really vague, and uh, you know that's harder to to prove that you're wrong. Oh well, so. this guy's this guy's really specific. I mean, he's like, okay, it's happening six p.m. PST or whatever, like right down to the. D- I mean, that's even even in its own right. I mean, imagine that God, right? Imagine that God was like, okay, I'm going to do a rapture, but you know what? I'm only going to do it at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right? Which, like, I mean, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. That, I mean, the universe time. is infinite, right? The universe is infinite in every why direction. Why is he going to pick that particular time? Yeah, why is, he pick that, why is he going to pick that particular time? Why is he going to pick, oh, yeah, it ha- it, it's going to be just a line, just perfectly tea time for Americans. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh my who knows, god! Who knows the weirdness that goes on in some people's heads? Anyway, um, so that this does uh, remind me a little bit. Um, I don't know why, but anyway, I've got a segue for this, which is totally unrelated, but I want to talk about it anyway. Bitcoin. Okay. I keep seeing Bitcoin stories pop up on um, Hacker News, but I have no idea what it is. Okay, Bitcoin's kind of interesting. So what it is is, it's a currency, right? It's a digital currency. And it's supposed to. The idea is to to become a new gold standard. So okay. they're, they're basically trying to replace gold, but because it's a it's a completely it's it's what what's called a cryptocurrency. Okay. Because it's crypt, cryptographically generated. Okay. And basically, it's it's a kind of the whole supply and demand thing is is controlled in a way that that people can't just print new money. Like m- the money can only come into existence in a certain kind of a way, and the money has value. And so, uh, so it's a, it's a way of uh, of sort of subverting the power of the Federal Reserve, basically. Uh, you know, instead of doing it by uh, you know legally by passing laws to uh, to end it or something, let's just let's just create a, a competing digital currency. So, so with with Bitcoin, there's already, I mean, it it it's been going for the concept of it's obviously quite old. It's like ten years old, but it's kind of bought some steam now. And I would say there's probably like a couple of hundred vendors who will accept bitcoins as payment. And so to get bitcoins, the way that it, the way that they've dealt with it is they've kind of equated it to mining for gold. So what happens is, and this works the cryptocurrency, is that basically you you run a process on your computer that's it's it's almost like breaking a password, right? And what right. happens is is that every X number of cycles or X number of tries you can get a block or I've, I'm, I'm not ex- describing it exactly right, but essentially it's like you create a hash or something like that. And once you get the winning hash, almost like winning the lottery, then you've, then you've got a Bitcoin. 
But the thing is, it's extremely difficult to create. It requires a huge amount of computer cycles, and it can't be it can't be kind of spoofed. Just the, the whole way that they've they've built the whole thing up with their Bitcoin servers, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so so they so they're adding Bitcoin currency regularly, right? So they're and, and then and then is is, is that is that what I'm to understand? So they're they adding they're up. adding Bitcoin current they're adding Bitcoin currency, but it, it you have to work really hard to get it. Work hard to get it. I mean, like you, what do you mean? Well, just like you have to mine for gold, your computer has to basically, like your computer or your computer system, you know, like the whole distributed system SETI, like it's that level yeah. of work to, to get each Bitcoin out of the system. Okay, so you can essentially print your own money, your own Bitcoin? Yes, you, print, you, 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 you can print your own Bitcoin and you can, you can create them. But the thing is, through the, through the central server, they basically control... It's I, I can't explain the exact algorithm, but it's all weighed up so that it's exactly the right amount, so that one new Bitcoin is created every ten minutes. <laughs> okay, and and okay. there's there's basically they've 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 measured it out to something like to, uh, the year two thousand two hundred and twenty or something like that. That there will be exactly twenty one million Bitcoins in existence by that period, and that. Um, each Bitcoin has eight decimal places. So you, so you can kind of use it and it's just all very controlled. And um, as, as we say, it, it, should, it should completely hold its value because of the way the system's all balanced out. That's very interesting. I mean, I, I just wonder if it's ultimately susceptible to, to sort of hacking, um, breaking the hash in some way, um, you know, through some kind of, I don't know, really ingenious mathematical um, attack well i i don't i don't know the ins and outs of it i mean i just i i only know a very layman's view of it but one thing that was really interesting and this is this is the thing that came up on hacker news yesterday was that a guy correct because obviously you need the bitcoin libraries and the bitcoin apis to connect to the servers to to kind of um generate the the bitcoins right, right. Through, through the hard work so what this guy did is basically created a javascript version that you can put on your website or your busy blog and every time Someone comes to the page, it's like another process. It's, it's like another unit of process getting you closer to finding the Bitcoin. So that it, essentially it's a way of creating ad-free revenue from your website. <laughs> so the more people who come to my website, oh, it runs the JavaScript, so it's running on their computer. So yeah. they're, they're mining for me. They're mining, exactly. I like that That's, idea. So it's, it's, a new, it's basically an ad-free way of creating revenue on the web. You're definitely going to want you want pe- more people with, say, uh, Firefox four or Chrome to visit your site than IE seven. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the JavaScript engines are so much faster, so you probably they're going to be ten times valuable as um, as as users, right? Because if if the JavaScript engine is ten times faster, it's you're going to make ten times more progress and your bitcoin mining right well i was thinking that uh, people like james altucher and uh, pete michaud who basically have these blogs that are very heavily trafficked that have no ads on their blogs i mean this is a a great scenario for them yeah i like it um (laughs) of course what you're going to want to do is you're going to target the more technical audience because they're going to tend to have the more powerful browsers right yeah. More powerful machines. So you're going to want people who are surfing on uh, on the latest and greatest hardware as well. So it it would definitely skew the 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 viability of it would skew towards uh, technical topics. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I have to look more into that. But I like the idea. I mean, it's funny. We were just talking about. I was just talking about this the other day with Pat Maddox, who I grab lunch with every week. He's uh, he's sort of a 
uh, geek buddy of mine I've, I've become friends with over the past, I don't know, six months or something. I'm just sending you a link to um, Bit- Bitcoin, Bitcoin trade so you can see the different services that you can already buy using Bitcoin. Okay. So um, <laughs> I, I can't remember how the topic came up. I was talking about the national debt. You know, like the national debt is now at like $14 trillion. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's absolutely out of control and it's just getting worse because I think our um, uh, you know essentially our government is essentially too uh, it's too broken it's too corrupt now to fix that problem I mean politicians are politicians are simply unable to cut services um, to their constituencies or their, to the interests that um, that lobby them they just uh, unable to do it stay in office so they don't and so mm-hmm. we just get further and further in debt and the only real way that seems that, w- that we're able to deal with it is that is we just print more money, which we make the dollar weaker. I mean, it's obviously a really complicated problem. There's a lot more to it than just that. But we, we simply monetize our debt. Yeah. Um, and, and we talked about that, I think, in the first, uh, our first interview with James Aldicher back a couple months ago was the, the way that we're dealing with the housing crisis, the fact that everybody is way underwater, or not everybody, but a large number of people, uh, a large percentage of the voting public yeah. is underwater uh, on their mortgage. And so the only way to get them out of that is to decrease the value of the dollar so that, yeah, they may owe, you know, $500,000 in their house, but now $500,000 isn't worth so much anymore. What about the fact that when they earn money, they earn less as well? Like that? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a complicated problem, but I think that's what they're doing right now. What, what essentially what they're doing in the, sh- what in the sh- allows people to do in the short term is um, the, the, way, the way that's happening is they're, they're pushing interest rates artificially low. So that your mortgage payments are extremely low, so that you can actually manage to pay your monthly uh, mortgage. I see. Yeah. Right. And so, if you can pay it, then you don't default on your mortgage, and yeah, and uh, and and then because if everyone defaults on the mortgage, the the you know the banks are in trouble, and uh, and that's a you know another big problem. So, in the long term, right, it creates deflate. In the short term, it keeps it keeps the economy sort of on life support. It keeps the um, housing market on life support. Uh, keeps the banks uh, apparently solvent. Uh, in the longer term, it creates inflation, which uh, creates all kinds of problems. But something like Bitcoin um, coming up as an alternative um, could prevent, you know, so what? So if, the, so if Bitcoin took off, let's say 20 years from now, Bitcoin actually has some kind of a significant yeah. presence, mm-hmm. then that would, that, that would serve as sort of an alternative to the U.S. dollar, which is sort of the world reserve currency. And... Um, you know, I, although I honestly I see that I have a hard time seeing that happening. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I it, to be honest, um, Bitcoin will go somewhere because ITEX um, and different bartering systems already or already are pretty successful with millions of members. So they're they're basically bartering systems, and what they do is they have their own dollar, and with within their within their system, a, a dollar is like it's called an ITEX dollar, for example. Right, so you can buy things with ITEX dollars from one trader to another trader through an ITEX brokerage. And as I said, there's millions of companies, or, or well, hundreds of thousands of companies, millions of people. And the thing about it is, is it's it's to the point where when you do trade, you actually have to declare tax on anything you get through ITEX. So basically, yeah. people can give you ITEX dollars, you still have to pay the tax amount dollar for dollar versus what it's what it's worth. So I'm thinking that Bitcoin would have a good chance, you know, and, and it would just be something like. ITEX, but just more more abstracted into a currency rather than a, a bartering system. Right. Well, I'm definitely going to follow the Bitcoin story a little more. I'm going to do some reading up because that's interesting. Um, it's this sort of technology and economics that I find 
And I find both those topics interesting. So, so you said uh, just there talking about housing, uh, I wanted to segue into this James Altucher thing that we were talking about with James uh, on the last show, right? So he's talking about, you know, owning a home versus renting a home. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that whole discussion was just awesome and interesting. But, uh, but the one thing that he was saying was that you'd have this, if you rented a house, you'd have this down payment that you could then invest in other stuff. And I was thinking there was a slight issue with that because when you go to buy a house, it kind of motivates you and gets you into gear to, to accrue that down payment, right? But I've noticed whenever I'm renting, I never think to myself, oh, I need to get a big lump, lump sum of money. <laughs> so the only, the only issue with that is, you, you know, would you ever get that lump sum of money if you were renting? So just, so just the idea that if you want to buy a house, you need a down payment, and therefore you need to start saving. So it, force, it gives you a focal point, uh, gives you a goal yeah. uh, for your saving. If Otherwise, you're not. Uh, you know, there might be something to do that, to that but I mean, I, I think you could, if you're for a little smarter about it, say, okay, I understand that. So what I'm going to do is rather than, rather than putting money to that, we're going to, we're going to create something else that we're going to put money towards. We're going to create, you know, a, a, a big savings, um, I guess savings account that we're going to put money into and we're going to try and hit certain goals. And if we hit these certain goals and reward ourselves in other ways, we'll take mm-hmm. a big trip, we'll do X, Y, and Z, you know, we'll do something else. But yeah, I mean, motivation is always an important thing to throw in. Um, that's, that's interesting. I, although I think that's sort of, um, that's that's a psychological issue as opposed to sort of like a, a financial optimizing your financial situation. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. No, agreed. I mean, but it was just something that I was just thinking. Well, because there, you know, there are a lot of people who rent who aren't very rich. Why is the you know why is that? Probably because they've never thought. Oh, I need uh, you know I'll get some big. I mean, most of the people who rent. Uh, just don't have a choice. Don't have a choice also because, you know, they can't get the down payment. Well, either you're young, right? If you're yeah. young, you haven't had enough time to save up. Uh, you're still moving around a lot. You're not married. You're not settled down. You're not sure where you want to live or you just don't have enough income for it. All those kinds of things. So you yeah. usually don't buy a house until later. It wasn't until, you know, during the sort of the housing boom that a lot of people who were younger were buying houses because you didn't have to put any money down, it seemed, right? Yeah. And everybody kind of got sucked into it. But until then, I mean... And especially if you lived in any kind of urban area where it was expensive to buy a home, I mean, nobody in their, or very few people in their twenties were buying a home. Mm-hmm. You know, people in their thirties, you know, would start buying homes when they're married and start having, and they started, and they got to the point where they had enough, uh, enough income to do that, enough savings to do it. Hmm. But, um, hmm. Yeah, I, um, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Okay. <laughs> I've got some, I've got a few other subjects if you want to keep going. So, sure. uh, through working with Abu outsourcing, um, I've this is the Abu the Abu storyline. The Abu storyline, the outsourcing storyline. So um, he's introduced me to a great piece of software called Team Viewer, um, okay. which is great because one of the one of the issues with Skype, Skype's awesome that it, you can do screen sharing, but the, one of the pa- there's two pain points about it is you can't control the other person's screen, and there's a lot of times when you just want to screen share and you don't want to have a whole conversation. You just kind of want to just do a quick screen share and have and just ping a few texts backwards and forwards. So this this software called Team Viewer is just a very simple piece of software that works on Mac. It works on the PC, and you, you basically just text someone an ID and then click join, and you're just you're instantly on their computer. It's awesome for support. You can kind of control their computer or you can watch them. And it's also highly optimized for very low bandwidth situations. It's, it's really popular in India and India outsourcing. So, so you think it's, it's better than Skype? 
it's I, I think it's 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 better than Skype for um let, I mean are you, are you you used to use VNC so with VNC you can control the other person's screen right right uh, I mean do you miss that in any way I mean if it if it does if the screen control thing doesn't matter to you then it probably doesn't make a difference right but right. if sometimes you want Guyon to actually control your screen this thing's very cool you know yeah you know that's think something that's really been a problem lately because VNC, the ultra v, ultra VNC was the open source VNC client and server that I used to use when I had a Windows machine. Yeah, and it was very fast. I mean, uh, you know, it was it was, pre- it, I, I mean, because Guyon would I would share my desktop with Guyon and he would, um, you know, he would occasionally take control and write some code. You know, um, and he said it was a little sluggish for him, but it was pretty good. It yeah. wasn't that big a deal. But um, the the VNC server that's built in OS 10 that mm-hmm. is it's almost unusable. Like we can't even use it. So he just sort of watches me code, and and you know we talk about it, comments. So ever since sort of like I got a Mac, which is like in August, I mean I've done virtually other than a couple modules that that uh, Gown has done. Uh, separately, I've done all the actual coding <laughs> because you know it just it doesn't work. Try, try out Team Viewer; it's it's good, it's good, and it's it's designed especially to work in really low bandwidth situations. So yeah, um, yeah that that could be the answer for you. And it's good yeah. because it, if you use it uh, just one on one in that way, it's free. I mean, there are upgrade licenses, obviously, and it's pretty expensive. But uh, I think you'd yeah, be I, able need, to get I need I need some I need I need another solution. We've been meaning to to like look into other uh, VNC. Um, solutions and it doesn't seem to be a whole lot for the Mac um, and it just it's amazing it would be so slow it's just it's really frustrating and see the thing about pair programming there's a couple reasons why it really works well one is of course you have two two brains on the same problem and mm-hmm. so when one person starts struggling a little bit or, or running out of ideas or kind of gets caught in sort of like thinking about the wrong thing the other person can kind of say hey what about this or maybe we should do it this way um, and the other thing is sometimes you just get fatigued Right, yeah. you just you, you you can think about the problem at at a, at a sort of higher level, but you're having a hard time just sort of pushing through the algorithms. And if someone else can take can take charge and actually you know be writing the code, well, you take back, you, you sit back, you let your give your brain a little bit of rest, and you kind of watch and you start thinking about some of the implications of you know what you're coding up. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that's you know so we've lost that you know that benefit um with not being with him not being able to actually participate in the coding and 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 it sort of worked in a situation where i'm like okay guy well how about you create up you know you write up this javascript um module that does x y and z and he'll do that and he'll just sort of like you know send it to me on skype and i'll integrate into the code or whatever Mm but and that's not nearly as uh as efficient of a workflow all right so that's team viewer um definitely worth it worth a uh, check um, so then, just, oh, let me ask you a question though. Yeah. If any of our listeners, if anybody, on our, uh, anyone listening to this knows of a better, um, you know, OS ten uh, compatible um, VNC. VNC server, VNC server, I'd much appreciate. I'd love to hear about it because the I, I I would love to just use VNC if I could because um, it works so well. It's just that the you know the Mac one just sucks. It's just dog slow. So talking about anyone knowing. Uh, you know, getting feedback from the listeners. Um, I got really great advice from the listeners about, um, about the, the last week's discussion about scaling and stuff. So oh, yeah. um, I got some, I got some great offers. So uh, Stuart Robinson, who um, has, has a website called full fat things.com. <laughs> Basically <Full> fat things. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he says his speciality um is basically Drupal performance and uh, Linux and MySQL uh, 
in general, basically speeding that up. So he's he said he'd be happy to do a consultancy session with me and kind of go through that. Uh, he's he knows a lot about that. So uh, that I, I have been meaning to get back to him, but I uh, haven't done it. And then also, um, you know, we were talking about that whole friend finder thing on Plugio. So basically, right. Um, I was doing the kind of the ID comparison in memory and I was looking for a way to, to make it better so I could compare the friends and followers. Remember that one? Right. Right. Uh, so um, a few people sent, sent some great SQL solutions, which is awesome. Uh, Pierre de Pascal gave me one. Um, most, uh, most of the solutions that I got was the idea of, of having two tables. Well, first of all, you got these email. These weren't comments, huh? Yeah, there's these actually private, private uh, messages in uh, Startup Guild. Huh. Why aren't people? Uh, I wish people were commenting on a, on the blog because the only one that I saw was from Oleg. Right. Yeah. And he say, he was saying yeah he was sort of suggesting something similar to I was which is don't do the diff in PHP use you know like left outer join type that's, of yes solution. exactly yeah so I've had a few a few recommendations like that so that and that's good and I I did go down that route um, so basically just I guess anyone new won't won't know what the story is so basically what I want to do is I want to suggest unfollowed users to um to people who are using Twitter. And the Twitter API gives you back a list of IPs for any user that you, you care to, to send to it. So they'll give you back all the people who are following that person and all the people who they follow. So it's just basically doing a diff on those. And if someone isn't, if you're following someone, but they're not following you back, then to suggest them as an unfollow. Right? How are you, what's your algorithm for picking um, potential people to follow? Well, this is a different, this, that's, that's a separate topic. Yeah. Okay. That's a separate topic. Okay. So we'll finish this yeah, one first. Yeah, I'd be yeah. curious about that. Okay. Okay. Because because what I want to say is I've I came up with a with a a really good and optimized way of doing this, but it wasn't actually be, uh, based on doing a join, which was quite costly to the database. Doing a join and looking for for rows that weren't there. What I realized was I just basically used one table, and in that table I've got a user ID, and then I just have two flags, which is basically flag A is I follow them, and flag B they follow me. And right. so, so then I can just basically do a select where, you know, select everyone where it's my user ID and where they don't follow me. And I thought, you know, you see what I'm saying? So it's just a simple right. select then. Right. So that's the good news. The bad news is then I went to try and integrate it into the, into the site because remember, I'm already doing this. And I realized that the code I'd written the first time around was so... I don't know. I'd, I'd created it in a kind of frenzy, like maybe two or three weekends. It was it was it was crap because it was prototype code. It was it was prototype code. Yeah, that's a very good way of describing. Which is which is what uh, I, I this great talk by uh, I listened to by James um, Gosling, the creator of Java. Yeah, and he's like he, he's he said the one mistake that people make is that they write prototypes and they just think that's like version point one and they keep going. No, he's like prototypes are meant to be thrown away, <laughs> you know, because you want to write something as quickly as possible to learn. Right, you're just learning, and so you and you want to write things as quickly as possible, so you can learn as much as quickly as possible, and then based on that knowledge, start over. And uh, so it's always going to be crap, which is fine, right? I mean, it should be crap. If it's not crap, that means you probably didn't do, write it fast enough and learn enough. You spent too much time, you know. Well, here's the problem: crafting. I basically created friend the friend finder module in JavaScript, which is a pretty extensive module, sort of like a thousand lines of JavaScript code on the front end. Okay. Then I've got the friend finder cron process processing script on the back end that's once again you know like a couple of thousand lines of code and there and then i've also got that's just the kind of cron script and then i've also got the the friend finder server scripts which basically serve the ajax calls so the whole thing 
because I was being kind of clever, it's just all kind of, it, I guess, almost prematurely optimized and, and coupled in a way that it didn't need to be. <laughs> so right. anyway, the whole thing is, is very coupled and complete the way that it's done. So for me, just right. plugging in this other concept, I, I basically spent about a day and a half trying to do it. I tried from every different angle. And then this huge wave of frustration came over me because I realized this is ridiculous. Like it's actually working. It's just not optimized. Right. right. <laughs> I'm spending all this time. I've spent so much time. We've spoke about it on the show, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's not like anyone's complaining. Okay. It's not like any customers saying you need to make this more optimized. Right. Right. So, so what are you saying? I'm saying I've just wasted my time. Like I, like I, this is ridiculous. I'm going to have to rebuild it from the ground up to put this new optimization in because it's too coupled. It's too meshed. And I've just literally wasted time thinking about it, getting into it. Well, it why was, is it? Why, why have you wasted time? Because if you're going to have to do it, if, if it's, it's, maybe it's not an issue now, but it might be an issue in three months. I wouldn't consider because, it wasted. Maybe. Well, yeah. But like at this stage in the business where essentially every, you know, every new hundred dollars of revenue counts, et cetera, et cetera. And every new feature counts. What the hell am I thinking about this for? Okay, so it's it's just wasted. It's just that this is this is this is too early to be thinking about this particular problem. Yeah, yeah. It's like you need to think about this in three to six months, maybe. Yeah, and and I I don't even know why. I think the reason why I thought about the problem was because the friend finder kit. There's some bug in it where it's basically producing double unfollow suggestions. Yeah, well, you know how that always happens, right? A bug appears in one piece of code, and then you're just like, oh, I, I need to just rewrite this for these other reasons. Yeah. And we really just, just made that fix and moved on. So <laughs> so guess when my, my, my level of ultimate uh, de- depression and frustration hit was when I said, okay, let me just try and fix that problem, because that's really what started this whole thing. <laughs> so I just put the word distinct after select in my query. And it, and it solved the whole thing. The whole thing was fixed. And then I was really, really frustrated. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It's like, okay, you know, here, here, here's, here's an interesting uh, sort of cognitive, uh, I don't know if I call it a cognitive bias, but this is a psychological reaction. So if you work on something, if you find, if there's a problem you can't solve, right? And if you work on it for, for, you know, 10 hours or something, and you're just like driving you nuts, and you're just like, you're so frustrated, I'm never going to solve it. And you're like, what I would do if I could just have this problem solved. Then it turns out it's just like a missing comma or a missing keyword, like distinct or just something silly. And instead of being like, oh, thank God, I'm so happy it's solved, you're just angry. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like (laughs) if if it would have required like 300, you know, lines of additional code to make it work, and then you probably would have felt good about it. You're like, oh, I finally solved that monster of a problem, boy. You know, I really you know rolled up my sleeves and I figured it out. But if someone said, "Oh, it's just a comma," it's just that just that's just that's no good. That's not good. That's just gonna make you angry. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, it's like it's almost like I remember hearing. Um, this is sort of related. I can't remember who told me this story. This is somebody. She was a lawyer, and I think she worked at this uh, big law firm. And I, I can't remember what some type of corporate law. It was like on. Um, I think it had to do with like. I think they specialized in setting up option plans for companies or for, for corporations. And I guess it can be pretty expensive to get those things set up correctly. Uh, a lot of regulations, a lot of legal work. And 
I guess this guy came to this attorney who was one of the senior partners at this firm and, and said, look, I need you to solve X, Y, and Z problem. He's like, well, how much is that going to be? And he, it was some obscene amount of money. It's like, that's going to cost, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for that answer to get that done. And the guy's like, okay, fine. And he comes back, you know, like, you know, 15 minutes later and like, well, here's your answer. <laughs> it was like, it was, the guy got really angry because he's like, that's crap. I'm not going to pay you $200,000. <laughs> You know, you know, but just before he was fine with it because he knew what a big legal um, situation, what a big legal problem it was to get that thing solved. I guess he had talked to other, he had gone to other law firms and they knew, knew how expensive it would be. But it doesn't you know, feel fair, right? It's just a fair if you feel like you just got taken advantage. I mean, it's a little different, but it, it reminds me of that. It's <laughs> funny. Well, uh, I'm glad it's solved for you. That's yeah, good. <laughs> and it's, you know, I'll I'll look at it again in the future. So plus, also remember that remember I was talking about you know this is this is something else that also got frustrated when I when I realized this because I was saying oh you know what I want to do is I want to store all three hundred million Twitter users in the database and basically do it that way so that people can do friend research. And then I thought about it and it just kind of came to me in the shower. Well, hold hold on a second, Google have this, you know, I could just basically plug into the Google search API and just give this give all this information for free without dealing with any of the indexing so, right yeah right well to, uh, yeah sometimes it's just you gotta you know i find this happens to me all the time i my best solutions come to me when i'm not sitting at the computer yeah uh especially for hard problems i have to like i said they're now bang away and bang away and i don't nothing creative really pops in my head and it's just I'm frustrated, and then I go and I, you know, walk away. Either I go to lunch, or you know, even even take a break for 15 minutes, and then I go, oh, right. I, I, so it's just it, it just magically appears in my brain. It's like a gift from above, you know. It's like like a lot of times people will say uh, when when someone approaches you with a problem, you know, this whole thing like tell me your problem, don't tell me your solution, kind of thing. So I guess I was thinking about this from the from the problem the, from the solution point of view rather than the problem. So I. I kind of decided, oh, the oh, you know, the solution is I've got to have the 300 million users in the database, whereas I should right. have just kept on thinking about the problem. How, you know, how can I get people to search Twitter users? <laughs> That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, yes. I like that. That's a really good point because I think that I think we all fall into that. We we jump to conclusions like this has to be the answer, and so I'm going to force a the problem to fit into what i think the answer is which is probably not the right answer oftentimes yeah. you know that happens in science all the time you know they, they you know there's sort of this bias towards what people think the answer should be as opposed to really looking at the data and come up with a hypothesis that fits the data you know they work backwards interesting so how is the um how is the uh the outsourcing going now what's the update well uh I've I've had him on a talk. You remember the fact that I prematurely optimized. Uh, sorry, I prematurely uh, translated Plugio into five different languages, and there was no point. <laughs> right. So I basically built built into the whole system that whole strings thing, and I, did, I also did it in a really horrific way, where rather than actually giving the the constants uh, names <laughs> that would indicate what they represented, they were like string thirty seven, string yeah. thirty eight. Right? Yeah. So the whole way across the system, I I couldn't understand any of the, any of my code anymore <laughs> because it just was S one two three. Right. So what I what I have what I've had him doing this week is basically undoing my big you know big mistake. So he's and he's been doing an awesome job of that. I have to be honest, he's really done a great job. So he started with the JavaScript. I mean, each each um, the JavaScript side has I don't know about a thousand strings, and the PHP side has about a thousand mm -hmm. strings. So he's just been un undoing all my 
mistakes <laughs> and he's been doing a great job so that's good no is he is he is he is he getting rid of the constants or is he giving them the reasonable names no he's we're, we're take, getting rid of that string concept altogether he's basically reintegrating those the the strings back into the code and then we're just going to do away with that string file why i mean i don't understand why you don't do it the way i suggested the first place use a string table but just use um you know give give them names that make sense because i don't see any reason to to tr- to do translation right now just doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, you might do it in a year from now, and the string table is already there, and then you can, and you can translate. I it. don't think I could ask Abu, who's not very good at English, to start you know coming up with constant names. I think a, a better idea is to just rip it out altogether because it makes it much faster to develop because it's much easier to understand. Okay, that's my that's my okay. theory. Anyway. Well, I mean, because you, you do you try because you did um, you translate it and you had to translate other languages, but you just had no users in these other languages. Yeah, I got it translated into Spanish, Italian, French, and German, and there was just really no income from no, them. Nothing. <laughs> okay, well, I guess it's not a big concern now. So. <laughs> okay, okay. So tell me, how's um, how's Apic Night going? What's what, what's going on with you? Because I think we've spoken about me for a bit. Um. Okay, so I've I rolled out my second update. <laughs> or oh, yeah. Just, I, well, I guess what I do I did is I sent an email ex, uh, detailing the the updates that I rolled out uh, over the previous couple days. Yeah. So I think that's what I'm going to do is I'll just I mean I, I I sort of as soon as I think something's fixed I just immediately push it out. But then I'll and I'll send an email to the group. I I mean I've like six beta testers. So how and, how's Teacher's Pet coming along, Aaron? Teacher's pet. Um, Aaron from Phrase you know, he, he ran into. He said he ran into a brick wall um, that okay. he could move forward. And one of the, the, the most important aspects of, or, or I guess one of the biggest bricks in this brick wall, was that he has a database, essentially, of... Um, that, uh, he, has a, he has a bunch of data that needs to be pulled in. It has to be somehow imported into the application. Yeah. Right. So like he, he, his application is phrase mix, which is teaching, uh, it's for English as a second language. So it's like explaining phrases and giving examples and things. So it's a database of examples and, um, and some other components to, to it. Okay. And so this has to be pulled in the database. I mean, he sure, sure doesn't want to go and type all that data in Mm. by hand. And, you know, that's always something that I've been, you know, wanting to to add i mean that's obviously if people build applications a lot of time the application doesn't start just now without any data a lot of times it's people have already been doing some kind of process and they've been doing it they've been tracking it in a notepad or in a spreadsheet or email or whatever and they have all this data usually it's in a, some kind of a spreadsheet and they're like okay well i got you know 500 rows or 5,000 rows and i need to you know i want to make use of it and so if you want to pull, have those people be able to create you really create an application that they're going to use they need to use that data so what's your answer to him well the answer is i'll get back to you <laughs> so you gotta, need you got to create an import script and you'll get it back when if you can do that one day yeah and so gowan and i wrote an importer um to do this exact kind of thing um I don't know, like a year and a half ago, very early on. It was kind of the equivalent of your translation table. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we did it really out before we really had anything else, but we didn't really connect it with anything. And um, I think we got about, you know, we got a long way through it, assuming it was like on a single table. Um, it, would, it, it would kind of read through and figure out, is this a date or a timestamp or an integer, or does it look like it's an enumerated type of some kind? And it can figure out all that stuff. 
So it's pretty clever in that way. Um, but then we, we, what I need to do is I'd have is um, if, you know if, if 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 it's if you're importing it to an already existing table, then it has to ascertain like okay, well this thing looks like a an enumerated type. Is that are those values within a, a table that's uh, in which there's a foreign ID. Okay. So, well, so, so what about your other um, beta testers? What's the deal with all, with all of them? Tell, tell us all of the stories. <laughs> all of the stories? I don't know. All I can tell you is An that... Overview. Well, I can tell you that it's annoying is that to them is that they report something, I fix it, and then something else breaks. I'm like, oh, Why does oh. something else break? Oh, because it's, it's all like a, a deck of cards, is it? I mean, what's the deal? No, it's just early on, you know. It's just, it was just, you know, Epic Night's complicated, and um, I guess people are doing things that I wasn't doing, and 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 which is always what happens, right? They go through things in a different order, and there was just lots of little things that that have been creating problems, lots of little bugs. Um, How many? So so this is. Do you think it would have been better to just have one or two beta testers? No, it's actually fine. I mean, there's really okay. So there's um, there's Aaron, Michael, Richards, Neville. Those are my three. Yeah. Um, and Udi. I think that's Udi. good. Keep it keep it low. Keep it small. Yeah, those are my four who are all trying. So they when I send an email, I usually get an email back from, you know, some or most of them like, all right, I'll try it out. And then they'll be like, okay, this broke now. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so it's it's just you know, it's it's just early, right? It's more of an alpha test than it's a beta test. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean it's it's just at that phase. I mean, I that's I wasn't really ready to release it and then but I just decided, right, well, I'll just do it as is. And, you know, it's funny because people say, oh, just release it. It'll be fine. It's like, no, it won't be fine. It'll be broken, but we'll, I can release it. <laughs> right? Well, it's good about the fact that, that they're trying things in different orders than you. I mean, to be honest, that's actually really, really good. Um, I know that you you feeling probably pissed off that you didn't anticipate that stuff, but it's great to have people who, who can do that and test that that way because you're just going to make it more rock solid sooner. Well, what's amazing is the, is the things that you, that weren't fixed like I, like how did this get through yeah you know, like yeah. like w- one simple thing is uh Udi's like okay i ch- it, it was an it was an integer and i changed it to a text uh a property yeah they set up a property sort of like a column and table you know this uh, of an int and he's like oh, i want it to be text and then it didn't in it and while the the database schema reflected that so apignite if you looked at apignite and you look at the property it was like, oh it's a text field but it was if you looked in the database table it was an int still so the alter table statement was broken didn't work i'm like how did i not notice that I yeah mean, well there's the once again i mean epic nights yeah i mean it was a two-minute fix you know mm. i just had to go through look at the sequel oh that's sequ- look in the log file okay that sequel statement failed what was the sequel statement oh the altered table statements wrong you know and uh you know i fixed that but it's just these little things that just happen you're just like oh it's irritating but um you know another thing was funny it was like um you couldn't you couldn't give a a, a model name. Uh, I have it couldn't have a space in the name, which is which was kind of silly. Yeah, and, very uh, basic. It, but... My yeah, my JavaScript, my sort of because what I would do, I had JavaScript that was cleaning it up because you know mo- model names have to be capitalized. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not lowercase and uh, and camel case. Kinda, no, it was Pascal case. Camel case is the first letter is lowercase. Okay. And so you want the first letter to be camel case. So um, I remember his model name was like access detail. So it would be capital A and a capital D with a space between. But he couldn't do it. So he had, a, he had an access dash detail. Yeah. Like, 
do a dash. And I went in, I go, cause I, cause he had to run into another error, error. So I manually built an app that looked exactly like his step-by-step to see if I could find the error. And I was trying to do the space like, Oh, <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, these are all like small fixes for the most part, but you're just like, I can't, I don't understand how I miss this. Uh, it's just irritating. Oh, it's uh, easy. There's so many variables, but uh, that's what I'm saying, especially uh, with that, you know, some, a, a code base that big, you know, yeah, and, and, and I'm still overcoming the problem that, I, as I explained last show, where I was, I had App Ignite under the knife for like a month. Yeah. I had up- uploaded anything to the server. And so everybody was working on a code base that was a month old. So that now there were, there were bugs in there. But then when I started moving up the changes, a lot of stuff, I really hadn't tested as thoroughly enough because I had done all these half measures I'd, I'd gotten all these 90 percent 80 percent completed features into the code base so what i end up having to do is comment some of it out uh, I, actually i commented most of it out and just so i could upload it because i knew i had fixed a bunch of bugs yeah. that i saw them running into and i'm like all right now one by one i'll uncomment them on the development server test you know test them out and then deploy them and and just go in smaller steps but i had to overcome that because that that because, you know, when I first got everybody on the system, people were running into some problems. And one of the problems I told you about was people couldn't log into the systems because the hash, the password hashing algorithms weren't working right. And I was like, oh, I can't even upload this stuff because the stuff on my development server doesn't even work. Right. Mm-hmm. It's still under the knife. So getting getting sort of and then so getting it to where I could get them up with the updated code base so that then I can then I can with in a reasonable amount of time be fairly responsive, I should say, so that I could be responsive to the problems. Well, I, th- I think that the listeners at home will be feeling slightly less frustrated because it does feel like there's some development and it does feel like it's moving forward. Like for a long time, it's just felt stalled. But now for the last few weeks, it feels like it's actually moving. I think it's a, it's a, re- I think it's a really good thing to have people using the software and people who, and not, just, not just testing it for the fun of it, but actually trying to solve problems. So when something doesn't work, they're actually frustrated. Yeah. Because that f- me, me knowing that, forces me to solve the problem quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if it's a friend of mine who's just clicking around on it, like if you were just like, hey, let me test it out. And you say, oh, I think this is broken. I'm going to be like, okay, whatever. You know, not a big deal. Because I know you don't really care. You're just, you were just doing it for my benefit. But if I know these other guys are like, yeah, they're trying to help me out, but ultimately they're trying to solve a problem. And I know they're frustrated that things are broken. Then I'm like, oh crap, I got to fix this right now. So it forces me to stay on target and, 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 and fix bugs before I go off in La La Land playing with some new, you know, cool new feature I want to. So n- now that you're actually started use, uh, working with people and people are starting to use App Ignite, um, do you have any sense of the level of effort and time required to get to, because, because, because before you did like, there was no measurement. There was no yardstick of how long it was going to take. Whereas now you've probably got some idea of all the stuff that you're going to need to do to get it out the door. Right. So I could imagine you could give an, not an accurate quote, but you could say, Oh wow. You know, before I thought I could release it in a month. Now I've realized I'm not, I'm not going to make any kind of prediction. I made, I've been burnt by that. (laughs) I'm just, I'm going to do it. Try and move as quickly as I can. It's not a prediction. It's just like a, you'll kind of gut feel like, yeah, but I've been so wrong in the past. I have no credibility in that in that in that area anyway. So it doesn't even matter if I said it was two months or two weeks or six months. I mean, I've already blown through all my predictions, so it's just meaningless. I think I don't have any. I don't think I'm very good at predicting something like this. So all 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 I'll say is that. Well, does it feel like a? Let, let's just say, re, do you potentially think that three months you could do it? 
Why, why are you trying to back me into something? I'm just saying, <laughs> no, I'm not going to say. No, I don't know. I'm I, just, I'm I, I know you don't know, but I'm just curious to find out what level of effort. Is it small, medium, or large? As far as I'm concerned, it's always two weeks away. As far as I'm concerned, I'm two weeks away from completing anything. So, I, I no, I'm not going to get sucked into that because it all does is, is screw me up and makes cause me stress. So, you honestly think that it's you – you've honestly always felt like it's two weeks away. You can't no, – not really, but that's always my – that's sort of running joke with, uh, with Sandy. She's like, well, how long is it going to be? Two weeks? I'm like, yeah, probably two weeks. <laughs> that's good. Two weeks just seems like forever in coding time, doesn't okay, it? Okay, so the analogy I want to give is – you know how they measure knots on 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 a on the boat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So for anyone I'm sure that everyone knows this but just in case there's anyone who doesn't. Basically, they tie they tie a knot in a rope and they tie another one x feet away and another one x feet away. And then they throw the rope into the water and they feel in their hands how quickly the knots bump over the course of a minute. So that's how they say, you know, we're going 15 knots. Okay. Right. So what I'm think the reason I'm thinking is that now you, you've got these people using it. It's almost like instead of having a rope with no knots in it, you've got some knots, <laughs> which right. you can you can kind of measure the speed because you've been working with these people. That's the reason why I'm kind of yeah. I, I think I think over the next two or three weeks, I'll 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 have a little better sense of things because I'll be getting I'll be you know I'll be rolling out fixes to these guys. Yeah. Regularly, so my my, you know, what I'm going to try and do is send out an email like every two or three days. Like here are five new fixes, here are three new fixes, here are eight new fixes. Right, added this, did this, did this, and um, and uh, since I'll be really on target for things that people are trying to build, I'll get a sense of whether, you know, if it's reaching any meaningful level. Okay, so um, so fair enough. So you, you're not you're not quite at the stage where you can tie the knots in the rope and measure it, and and you think that's going to happen in the next few weeks. I don't feel like that. Uh, it, it's just because of the nature of Epic Night being such a open problem. It's like, right. oh, whatever application you want to build, it's not like, you know, oh, I'm just tracking tasks. Well, as long as I can complete them and check them and reorder them and maybe tag them and people can log in and create a, and change their password, you're good. It's like, no. <laughs> I mean, this is orders and orders of magnitude more complicated than anything like that. So it's, and because and it, there's no, it's not like, oh, there's just, there's 15 things that people want to do. It's like there's just so many variations on it. And, um, but the problem is, is that you have to, you have in any one of those scenarios, it has to be complete enough that they can, that what they create is useful to them. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know it sounds like I'm just sort of, you know, um, throwing up a smoke screen, but I just really don't have a great answer. No, it's fine. fine. And I, I don't, I'm not trying to be difficult and not give you an answer. I just, I just don't want to say something that's going to cause me stress. And um, no but here's what I will say: as soon as I, if it's you know, if I can get these guys, you know, where their stuff is 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 pretty much bug free from what they're trying to create, and they can create something that's you know somewhat useful to them, yeah, then I'll go. Okay, maybe I'll invite in another five or ten people. Awesome. You know, and I know there's some other people who had uh, emailed me, and they're obviously I have a couple thousand people on an email list who who seemed like they were interested, but the people who emailed me, I mean, I mean, obviously that demonstrates even more interest. And those are people who I'd rather have in the beta test. People who are really excited to be, they're not going to be as easily frustrated by some bugs and they're going to probably get more feedback. And, and I will say this, the guy, you know, and, and Neville, Udi, uh, uh, Michael and Aaron have all given me just amazing feedback. I mean, they didn't just say, send me an email and say, Oh, this is broken. They would send me like Google docs with a 
table of descriptions. They would send me like diagrams. Aaron created an entire uh, like he probably spent like an MSS spent an hour on this diagram explaining how he thought the uh, view designer should look and behave. You know, I mean, people are nice. Our, our listeners are nice. I mean, that's the thing, right? I, yeah. I I got that sense from from the feedback that I got from the last show. It's it's yeah. it's amazing to have that kind of um, input and help. Have yeah, they're uh, I mean, yeah. I've uh, I've <laughs> I think we've found that through the comments we've received in the blog. I think we've had like maybe two negative comments in two years. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, only, I've only I can only recall two comments where I was like, you know what, this is kind of uncalled for. You know, <laughs> it's just I just it was just I mean, everybody else has been real positive and you know very helpful and that's ah, it's it's it makes it, it it's great because it makes you want to interact with them which makes you want to do a better job because people are are friendly and polite and respectful you know if which, people were jerks you'd be like ah screw this i don't need this which on hacker news is the exact opposite it's just really really gone downhill like you think so i think so yeah i, I just find a lot of um they what do you think about the fact that they got rid of the um the voting on comments the scores yeah or the points the points that yeah. scores and you know, I like that. I don't like. I, I think that because people people fall into this habit of vote. Or they want to. They vote up things that are voted up, or they get more attention. Things are voted up, and it's sort of like. Um, I think I can't remember what they. I think there's a problem. It's like the Italian restaurant problem. So if there are two Italian restaurants and each each is on a different side of the street, the first person who comes by. Um, might whichever side of the street he's on, he might just step into that restaurant, right? And the next person comes, oh, where's everybody eating? Oh, there's someone eating at this one, so I'll go into that one, right? And then it's just because of the initial conditions, which were completely random, one took off and the other didn't, not having anything to do with the actual value that it was offering. And I think you can see that. I think you see it all the time on Hacker News. People have a tendency to gravitate towards posts that have a lot of points because like, oh, everyone voted on this one. I better check that one out. And it might just happen that there was a, there was a group of people who worked together to get it up or just some randomness happened. Two or three people saw it and then someone else read it. And meanwhile, you have a lot of really great stories falling off into the ether because, um, well, why don't they, they just take points off the whole thing altogether then? That's what I would do. Like, so there's, there's no points on the system, but then, then the problem is, is that, that there's no feeling of, um, reward and growth in your karma. Well, you could, you could see your own karma. Maybe you can see your own karma or something mm, like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe people can see. I mean, what would happen is what you could do is you could see the karma. If you go look up someone's profile, you could see their karma. You could see your own karma. But seeing in, in, in your voting on comments and your voting on stories would affect their behavior. But um, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to see those um, those numbers. I think mm. that would create a much more. Um, I, th- I think I think it would be less prone to uh, the, the effect that I just described. You'd see you 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 things that really had value would have less would have is just as much chance of getting noticed and not, not being negatively affected by r- random uh, random events, hmm. random starting. I, I'm not saying this very well, but you know, yeah, I think you probably I think people probably understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So uh, so do you have um do you have any other stuff that like normally you've got a few topics that you want to bring up? Have you got any anything that you? Yeah. Well, let's see. I well first um I want to do the um I want I'm always curious. I'm here. I, I, I want to hear about the Plugio update. I love the numbers update. <laughs> okay. All right, then. I'll just open that up. So, first 21 Enough days. Enough about me. Back to you. <laughs> first 21 days. So, basically, um, I won't, probably don't, well, maybe I will give the rundown. So, December, it was uh, $537. Wait, wait, explain this at, that, at, to this date in the month. So, we're at, what, day 20, we're at the 21st? Yep, 21st day. So, basically, I, I can measure 
how much revenue Plugio.com earned in the first 21 days of each month. So okay. I've always got a, like an up-to-date uh, barometer of exactly where I'm at for each month. So I'm okay. going back from December. So in December, the first 21 days of December was $573. January, $611. February, $749. March, 1052 April, 1200 And this month, May, 1641 Wow, and and what is the estimate for the final month's total? Well, so far uh, it's saying the estimate is two thousand two hundred and ninety-seven, but I think it may end up hitting two thousand four hundred if I'm lucky. That's really that's really good. That's, that's really think. good. If I hit two thousand four hundred, I'll be a, I'll be a happy camper. Yeah, that'd be great. So, and then for the following month, you got to be for June. It's got to be on target for getting close to three thousand. I hope I really hope so. July. My my goal was to hit three thousand in July, and I think I'm going to break that goal. Uh, also, moving to the sixty day trial thing, I've got ten cancellations so far in the first twenty days this month, and that's definitely uh, an improvement. Because if, to- if you were still in the old, old, if you were using one of your older methods of thirty day free trial, whatever, what would you have guessed that number would be given your given the number of people who are using it now? I I would say that number would normally be uh, it would probably be more like fifteen cancellations rather than 10 so 50 percent reduction i think so yeah and sign up cancellations that's in cancellation that's great we'll see what happens i mean basically it's, it still do have the whole refund thing so maybe 60 days out all of a sudden a whole bunch of people will say hey i want my money back um i don't know but right i doubt it yeah i i kind of doubt it too but we'll see well, as, and as a result of your uh, recent success, you have been invited to speak at MicroConf, right? Which we were just going to be passive attendees, but now you're going to actually be talking. I'm actually a talker at MicroConf. That's, Congratulations. That's, thank you. I'm a professional speaker. I'm going to be heckling you from the front row the whole time. I, I wanted can't. to talk to you about this. I wanted to ask you, like, because, you know, I've, I've got stage experience, right? So I've, I've been a singer. and I, so well, I Yeah, think- that's why when I gave my talk at the Ruby meetup in LA, LA with the LA movie meetup we did yeah you were like oh you're gonna be terrible don't even <laughs> no you were good you were good you were good yeah, but you told me beforehand that I was gonna suck and I said <laughs> hey do you want to film it and maybe we can put it on the website and you're like do you don't want the film it's gonna be a train wreck you're gonna be terrible you're gonna be nervous I was like oh man I am oh that's you got me <laughs> you got me okay well, well actually I mean to be honest you you were you were as I was as I was expecting because I think that you were expecting and what you would want, I would imagine that you would want to be like Guy Kawasaki straight out the box, right? <laughs> but I knew that you wouldn't be like that. That's just, you know, no one's like that. So you got to watch back the video and, you know, it wasn't like Guy Kawasaki, was it? But it was, it was good. I mean, it wasn't a train wreck either. Right. Yeah. So I mean, what, what did you think of the, of the video that you watched? Oh, of myself? Yeah. Uh, I think it was kind of how I remembered it. I thought it went well. I mean, the fact that everybody was laughing and, you know, went on a long time. I went on and everybody was happy with it. You know, it seemed that everybody was happy that went over and. Well, you made the, I think you made a good decision to just tell your story, you know? Yeah. I, you know, storytelling is so much more fun to listen to than, you know, about 10 reasons why you shouldn't do X, you know, it's, that just gets really boring. Um, so, uh, I went with the story and I told a few different stories and I, and I told them the funny parts and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like, um, I stacked the deck in my favor. <laughs> so, okay. uh, yeah. so, so that I wanted to ask you to get your advice about this, right? So, as I said, so, you know, I've got some stage experience, so I could kind of go on there and do 
some stage type stuff because the one thing about me is like if, if i'm in front of a crowd like i don't actually care what i do i mean i don't mind looking like a complete idiot but it, it may end up being like kind of like uh, ricky gervais in the office right just some really embarrassing moments where everyone in the audience is going oh my god i can't believe he's doing that i can't believe he's I doing gotta, that I, I hope so so I so wait so what so what i'm wondering <laughs> is you know how like how kind of funny should i try and be i mean should i even do that should should i try and be theatrical or should i just you know just basically talk through the story because the topic is is basically how i tripled my revenue um without any new traffic or any new features that's that's the topic and all all what i'm going to do is i'm just going to talk through the 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 gut feel changes that i made to plugio to increase that revenue and which is really at the end of the day it just is about turning a leaky uh, a leaky bucket into a better bucket and just capturing more sales and, and doing better conversions with existing traffic. So I would, um, well, I, 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 I would like to hear it in story form. Right. You know, I think that would be way more interesting is to tell it in the story, about how you created it and then how you got some, how you got your initial traffic and then how it just died. I think you just start off that way or how it just didn't grow and you got really depressed and didn't do anything for a year. Yeah. <laughs> and, the big, and, then, and then how it came to a head when Georgie was kind of like, look, either you need to start consulting more and, and stop messing around with this stuff or... So you don't think you know, I should use slides? I, I, slides, I mean, I think if you have slides, then they just need to be sort of just to give people just a sense of what you're talking about because there's been a lot, there's been studies that show that when people are reading the slides, they're not really listening to you. When you're listening, you're not reading. It just, it, it actually confuses people and it's actually a distraction. But if you see what like Steve jobs does, I mean, he'll just put up some things like an image or just a word or something. But, um, I wouldn't do a bunch of slides, just a bunch of bullet points. Um, I would keep it real simple on the slides and I would talk about it and I would tell your story because if you tell your story, people remember stories. That's as, as humans, we've just evolved to, to I, I think, to remember stories. And also, it's just the way stories work. There's a narrative. Things make sense because they come in a certain order. That's why, like, when, you, when, when you're trying to memorize a bunch of stuff, they say make up a story to describe, you know, this information that you're trying to remember, right? So if you told the story of Plugio, right, and it's sort of – and in, in the in the second half of the story or or whatever came was starting from this past December and to now where it was all about all the different decisions you made and why you made them. People remember them. They go, okay, I can see why you didn't do a thing, and now I guess I can see why you did that. You didn't have enough traffic. You did this. If you just say, well, I did X, Y, and Z, it didn't work, and then I did that, and it worked. It's just boring to listen to, and it's hard to remember. But if you tell the the, the narrative, the Plagio narrative, because it's funny, it was Tweet Miner, and you. You were going to do it to make some quick cash and it came out and only a few people and then you got depressed and then you quit and then everyone in the blog was giving you a hard, everybody in the podcast was giving you a hard time. They weren't doing anything. And then, I don't know. That's what I'd do. Huh. Well, I may, I, see, that's something I definitely wouldn't be skilled or experienced at. I mean, I'll probably end up being a freaking gibbering wreck. I mean, at least with, right. at, at least with slides, you've got, it's like. It's like being a train on tracks. You've got these tracks that you can kind of hook onto, and it's easy well, to. Well, you to- could use the slides as the step. So let's say, let's say you tell your story, and and you can divide it into twenty, you know, steps. Right. Yeah. Here's the 20 things I'm telling. Story one, step one, and each one has a slide that just sort of says, you know, the beginning or why, you know, why plug you? Why okay. you start it? Okay. You know, and each one just kind of gives you it. It gives you some scaffolding for your story, but I don't know. I, I think people, I know I do. 
but I think people generally much prefer to listen to stories and they, and they these sort of didactic, you know, uh, things that say do this because they'll remember why you did it. Everything comes clear. They can remember the whole Plugia story. That's crazy. <laughs> All right, that's interesting. And that's good to get that feedback and advice. So, um, well, you know, if they do it or do whatever you feel most comfortable with, but that's my suggestion. I think because be- what I was going to do was I was going to get really kind of didactic and kind of go into the specific changes and, um, well, yeah, do it, but do it and do it and do it, uh, um, over time. What's, what's the word? Uh, when you do something, um, uh, ordered by time, yeah. I, I'm blanking on the word, but essentially chronologically, chronologically. So do it chronologically. Yeah. Does that make sense? If you don't do things chronologically, people don't necessarily see all the motivations or why you did things in a certain order. You say, I did this, I tried that, you know, this is, this sucked. This didn't do anything. Everybody said to do this. I tried it. It didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I tried this and then people will remember that you can be didactic in the sense that you can explain what you tried and why and how it worked out and give numbers, but just do it as part of the story. Yeah. So I, I think, I, I think I'm going to do that. I think, because because I was vaguely thinking because the thing as I say I I don't actually care what I do in front of an audience right so that kind of gives me a little bit of an advantage in a sense that I can just do something really crazy like yeah. I could I could start by saying you know um, <clears throat> I've never done public speaking before but all I've done is singing so I'm actually going to sing this whole presentation to you and then start singing right you know, but uh, I. As I would see, recommend that. You see, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So it would be exactly like Ricky Gervais, like The Office, where everyone would be, "Oh my God, is he really doing that? Oh no, it's too embarrassing." Yeah, I wouldn't do. That. I, I think if you tell the story, there will be fun. There are lots yeah. of funny things happen. You're a funny guy. There's funny things that happen. You'll find lots of funny nuggets. But I think people want to be. People always, you know, want to be entertained. But people are there not just to be entertained. They're there to learn something. So they they want to learn from your uh, story. Yeah. And uh, if you can make it palatable so it's entertaining, then it's even better because they'll, they'll be actually listening as opposed to looking down at their computer chatting with people on Skype or something. How many times did you – how did you practice uh, the speech that you gave and how many times I, did you – I didn't practice it at all. Yeah. I just – I made a bunch of notes. I was going to talk about something completely different and I was looking over my notes right before – because, you know, there's a break between the speaker before me and before I, uh, before I went up. And uh, I was looking at my notes, and, I, and then I, and I got there, and I was standing there in front of everybody, and people were kind of like sort of mulling around, and some people were starting to sit down and look at me, and I was just like, you know, screw this. I, I was just – I was bored already. I was going to talk about the things that I've learned about startups from <laughs> people we've interviewed. And I was bored before I even started. I'm like, I'm not talking about this. <laughs> I'm going to tell you some stories. All right. I was, All right, everybody. Story time. Everybody's okay. like, all right. And do you remember when I said that everybody got excited? I guess. I mean, I guess everybody got if, excited. If I when, just tell the the story play by play of what happened, I mean, a lot of fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy enough to remember, isn't it? Yeah, gather around, kids. It's story time. You know. Yeah, yeah I. That's what I recommend. But we'll see. All right. Yeah. So, uh, well, that's cool. Well, so we're gonna we're going to. Um, we are, you know, our initial plan was just to drive and just to kind of maybe do, maybe do record a podcast or two while we're there, interview some people or figure something out. Um, but you're going to be doing that. So hopefully we can still do some, uh, do some, uh, yeah. Okay. So of course, um, being, being a professional speaker at the event, I'm invited to the speaker's dinner. Like that's one of the perks <laughs> that you get, right? So the and speaker's I'm your, dinner. And I'm your chauffeur. <laughs> so you're the chauffeur. So, uh, so Rob invited me to the speaker's dinner and, um, then it it would have been quite strange because basically Jason was driving me up to Los Angeles and sorry, um, uh, Vegas. Las and, Vegas. 
would just be dropping me off to the speaker's dinner and then he'd be going off to the hotel room in his own. So I said, look, Rob, uh, listen. No, I wouldn't because this is this is the night before. We're, we're, we're staying at my in-laws that night. Yeah. So, so you, I would I would be sitting outside <laughs> the room, like just talking trash about you on the web. <laughs> so I said to Rob, look, you, you're going to have to bring Jason in. You're going to have to invite Jason to the speaker's <laughs> dinner, even though he's not a speaker. Did he say okay? Yeah, he, he said no, no problem, of course. Okay. So I, I get in because I, I, I'm the feel, I'm, everybody gets to feel bad for me. So that's and even talking. worse, I'm going to have to have the privilege of buying you the dinner in return for driving me down. <laughs> which just like, double, it's just double suck. Like well, you, see, don't, you, know, you don't have to speak and you don't have to pay. <laughs> so this is sort of my penance because if I had released, you know, Epic Night six months ago and actually was making revenue off it, I would probably be speaking. But because I haven't released it, I don't get to speak. Yeah. Right. This is your penance. That's what you get. That's, that's a payoff. You know, release your product, build a business, get invited to talk about it. Yeah, but your reward is you get to watch me make an idiot of myself. <laughs> no, I, I think you'll do, I'll do fine. I think you'll do, <laughs> you'll do well. Yeah. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. I mean, and I think we have at least two or three people who are uh, listeners, um, our, our, on start, or, um, our Startup Guild members who will be there. Yeah. So that's cool. Okay. So um, what did you think about... Um, NASA announces results of Epic Space Time Experiment. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and as, as that is, um, what was that? Einstein was right again. There is a space time vortex around Earth, and its shape precisely matches the predictions of Einstein's theory of gravity. Yeah, these, these gyroscopes that were like, they had to be accurate down to five one thousandth of an arc second. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So that was like measuring like the edge of a, a piece of paper from like a mile away or something. Just, yeah, they've been working on this for 47 years. Yeah, that was it. Like this guy, this this experiment, this guy's been working on it for 47 years. That is, is him just, in particular? He himself? Well, or was it just uh, gone through various scientists? It's gone through various scientists, but there's one, there's, there's one group of people who have been actually kind of pushing it forward for the last 47 years. It's just something like 14 or 16 PhDs have been written on this topic. Yeah. At Stanford, because this came out of Stanford, right? So yeah. it's based out of. So there's a few people at other institutions, but 16 PhDs um, were granted based on dissertations written on this whole big project, which is kind of interesting. Well, what does it mean? The, I mean, like now that okay, now that we've proven it, what does it mean? Well, it just it just means that space time gets warped by these by ob, you know objects having mass, and so the larger the object, the more mass of the object, the more that space time is bent. So it's that yeah. whole thing of where you get like a uh, like a ball and you put it on a like a trampoline, and yeah. and the, the kind of that space time the trampoline. You put a little marble on a trampoline, it rolls to the middle. So that's that's how that's sort of like one way to visualize it, sort of like a two dimensional version of I guess gravity, um, but three dimensional would work different because from all dire- all dimensions it would be pulled in. Okay, um, so now we know it. What does it actually mean? What does it mean for us? It just well, it just confirms us. I mean, I, I guess it confirms um, a theory that was basically believed to be true. I mean, not basically, I think it was believed to be true. There was a lot of, uh, I guess, other evidence uh, or other experiments that pointed to the truth of it, but this just, you know, confirmed it 100%. Yeah. So I guess that goes under our, uh, our, ta- our, our segment, hey, that's science. <laughs> the science is in. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I, I forgot, we used to do a couple other segments and I'm kind of like, oh, we had like a quote of the week segment. And we had yeah. a couple other. We had a fringe science segment, but I've forgotten about to do that one. 
what were the other ones where we were doing? We had a get to know a listener, which we did a little bit. We did a lot of critique, but we kind of stopped doing that because you and I felt uncomfortable about critiquing our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I got a, uh, I got another idea for one. Uh-oh. Go on. It's called, it's called the gotcha segment. So based on the idea, right, I, I mentioned in the last show with uh, James Altucher about my idea for a book called gotcha. Yeah. Uh, cognitive biases, logical fallacies, and social dilemmas. And, uh, you know, so I was thinking what we could do is each week bring up maybe a logical fallacy or cognitive bias or something and just kind of describe it. So, like, we might talk about, like, anchoring. Because, you know, because it's really interesting when you, when you sort of go through what some of these fallacies or some of these uh, biases are. And we've only discussed maybe a few of them on the show over the, but they keep coming up because they're so important. Well, do you have another one to discuss? Um... T- no, tell, tell me you didn't make the segment and then <laughs> well, no, and then well, completely forgot to bring something yeah, to it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just you know I thought I'd just bring up the idea of doing the segment, but um, the so one thing I want to say is like you know what is a you know what is a a, a cognitive bias? Yeah, for instance, and it and it's sort of a cognitive bias is a pattern of deviation in judgment that occurs in particular situations. So, um, and then a, a logical fallacy is what did they talk about and um. Because in, in informal logic and rhetoric, a fallacy is usually incorrect reasoning or in argumentation resulting in a misconception. By accident or design, fallacies may exploit emotional triggers in the listener or interlocutor uh, t- or take advantage of social relationships between people. Fall- fallacious arguments are often structured using rhetorical patterns that obscure the logical argument, making fallacies more difficult to diagnose. So... I th- and what I was thinking, you know, one thing I was uh, uh, about this that I thought would be interesting to do is, is if you had like a website where someone could post an article and using crowdsourcing, people would come in and, and sort of identify and mark every cognitive bias and logical fallacy found in the article. They could wow. total break. Like, okay, this is wrong. This is a, uh, you know, like, for instance, one of the logical fallacies is, is interesting is the um, argument for authority or appeal to authority, yeah. logical fallacy. And that one is, um, is a it's a uh, argument from authority is a fallacy of defective induction where it is argued that a statement is correct because the statement is made by a person or source that is commonly regarded as authoritative. The most yeah. general structure of this argument is source A says that P is true. Source A is authoritative, therefore P is true. Um, mm. Now the thing is that you know that someone in authority obviously it is important, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're true. They can be wrong. They're not infallible, right? But people use it in an argument to say, well, therefore it proves it. If so-and-so believes it, then it's true. Right. Well, a lot of people do that, you know, all the time. You know, oh, yeah. You, it's, it's so common that that happens. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, 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 is um, and that's what's important about all this stuff is that there's, there's so many logical fallacies and there's so many cognitive biases that we all, that, that we all fall into and, and fall victim to, and it causes us to make poor decisions or believe incorrect things. And, um, that's why I thought it'd be kind of fun to each week, maybe bring up one and talk about it in a little detail, maybe use some examples mm-hmm. and just for a five minute segment. And then maybe by the end of the year, we actually have learned something. <laughs> or right. the, the anchoring cognitive bias was really useful because, you know, an, an example that we gave, we've given it before is that if you get in a negotiation and you and I are, are, you know, let's, let's say that we're, you know, we have some item that we, you know, one of us is wants to buy or sell. And, uh, you know, if you put out a number first, and it's you want to sell it, and it's way higher than what I was willing to buy it for. Um, it still anchors the price, like that's sort of the frame of reference that we're going to use for the next price that comes out. So if you say a hundred thousand, and I was thinking twenty, for me to come out and say twenty thousand is going to seem like a ridiculous 
thing for me to say after you just said 100. Mm -hmm. Right? And so that's why it's always in a negotiation. It's always best to throw out the first number. You know, because yeah. then they the discount off that rather than you fighting off of theirs. And, and anchoring also means like, you know, I think when you, when you do pricing for like a, a service, they say, they'll go, like you set these higher prices are like, well, this is the professional version. Here's the enterprise version. It's really high prices. And like, oh, but this is the discounted version. Even if it might be on a higher end of what people might pay for service like that, they're still anchoring it against these much higher prices. And like, oh, wow, that is a really good deal based on those other numbers. Yep. Right. So, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, the other thing was last night, so I'll go over a couple of things that, I, that um, I was thinking about. So last night I was up late because I hadn't read enough material f- to have any topics for the week. <laughs> okay. And I was like, it was really late. I was like, I was getting to midnight and I was just exhausted. And I was kind of p- trying to plow through some, some stuff that I'd printed out. And a lot of times what I'll do is you'll, stuff will look really interesting and print it out. And it's like, okay, it was kind of an interesting topic, but there's nowhere to really go with it. Mm. You know, it was kind of like the... The, the one you just talked about, the exper- Einstein's experiment, it's like, ah, that's kind of interesting, but there's just nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah, but I think that sometimes it's nice to bring it up. I mean, I like if, if I'm listening to a podcast, I like it when people talk about stuff quickly because it's almost like, I mean, when you watch TV, you know, you move from one topic to another topic really fast. It's just nice to be aware of these things, I think, sometimes. Well, so. it's nice to be aware of them, but it's like, you know, I could just throw something at you and you're just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. I mean, it's not <laughs> interesting. It's it's like, uh, in that, and so... I. I was trying to find some stuff that was good and I was getting exhausted. And I, one article I read was called um, how little sleep can, can you get away with? And we've talked about the sleep thing. Is this the whole Uberman thing? No. Uberman sleep cycle. Uberman, no, that was about the polyphasic sleep where you can sleep oh, like yeah, yeah. Okay. five times a day for like an hour or something. And this is um, t- just about the fact they did some studies and like, you know, people, they had three groups. People sleep eight hours, six hours and four hours. And the, and the, you know, everyone, var- there's, a var- there's a variance in terms of how people deal with um, a lack of sleep. But people with six hours after three days had a significant drop off in their cognitive abilities. So, really? Yeah. What about so, four hours? Yeah, significant, really significant drop offs. Yeah. And after two weeks, they were like, you know, practically, it's like they were drunk, like they had stayed up all night long. But that's weird because I sleep for six hours most nights. Do you, do you make up for it? Do you have to get an app? So you take make not, up for it? Not really, no. Yeah, well, you're probably under. You're you're most likely underperforming. You mean I'm I'm actually this good on six hours? You are this good. Yes, you would actually that be a lot amazing. Smart. Yeah, so I was thinking, going, oh, so that time I was like, <laughs> right, not screw it, I'm going to sleep. Because <laughs> I I know that too. A lot of times when I haven't got enough sleep, and I I I, I I'm just I don't think very well. I I, I yeah. you know I'm writing code, and I just like even small problems kind of thwart me and throw me off. I'm like, oh, I don't know how to do this. Uh, and I just stop, you know, focusing in on it. But when I'm really well rested, I have more resilience to that. And I could just stay on a problem and be think- and thinking and I could think really hard about it. So, and they did the same thing with like, uh, then they went the odd numbers, five, uh, five, seven and nine hours. Yeah. It turns out nine hours wasn't a big difference. It's, it's a big difference over eight, but seven hours after a few days, there was a drop off too. I think hmm. most people need to bring seven and a half and eight hours. Really? And it was usually after a few days, you really start to see the, the effects. Yeah. Huh. And there are, there are five, they said there's about 5% or 3% of the population can actually get less sleep than most people. Uh, actually, actually, maybe it was like 0.5%. I can't actually, I, I got my numbers wrong, I think. So but basically I should be sleeping small. eight hours every day. You should be trying to sleep at least seven. 
probably seven and a half, eight, but it's different for everybody. But what you should try and do is, is, is get a little more sleep and see how productive you are, how effective you are over maybe a two week period versus your, whatever you've been doing lately. That's interesting. I will. I'll try that. Okay. What time do you go to bed at night? What, what time do you go to bed? Well, I normally go, I guess at, I don't know, 12 or one or something and then get up, get up early. I've, we'll get up for eight thirty every day. I suppose I say hours sleep. It's between eight or eight thirty. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you should be. You probably. I shoot for seven and a half. But you know, like this last week, I I didn't do a very good job. I was going to sleep at like twelve or one and getting up at you know seven. So. So does that I, mean you don't have any topics? I do have some topics. So I, I I pushed through them. This was the last one. After that one, I was like, screw it. So um, one was um. Uh, you know, you, it's called an article in Scientific America called uh, "You Can Increase Your Intelligence: Five Ways to Maximize Your Cognitive Potential." Yeah, go on. Okay, well, the first one obviously is get enough sleep. <laughs> yeah. So the what they did is um, they were testing these people on what they call an, a, a dual end back test, and the, the, the end back test is like if I if I read out a, str- a string of letters, if I go A C T F X T Z A B whatever, you have to tell me if I say. Whenever I hit a letter, you have to tell me if that is a letter that I named three letters back, hmm. right? And that's the end back test. The dual end back test is there are tool stimuli that are going on, like maybe there's a sound or a color thing and also a letter thing or something, some different, different kind of stimuli. So, um, and they just found that the one way to increase intelligence, well, actually they have five things that, that really helped. Okay, so here are the five ways. One is to seek novelty, the uh, two is to challenge yourself. Three is to think creatively. Four is do things the hard way. And five is network. So I'll explain each one real quickly. So yeah. seek novelty is basically like you, you want to continually try uh, new things. Like whenever you learn a new subject, apparently that um, increases your, your ability to your intelligence. Hmm. So if you're, just, if you're always doing the same things, um, you're, you're not challenging yourself in a new way. Um, your brain just isn't forced to, to do different stuff. It kind of reminds me of like, I think the best analogy to your brain becoming smarter is almost you becoming a better athlete. So it's like, um, if you just do the same exercises all the time, your body kind of adapts to them. So like if you're trying to get uh, stronger, like lifting weights, you don't always do the same exercise, the same number of sets, the same number of reps. You, you switch it up and you do, you know, okay, well, I was doing three sets of 10, now I'm doing four sets of five, or I'm, you know, I'm doing a different variation on this. So it kind of stresses your, your body in a different way. Um, and that's the same thing with challenge yourself. It's like every time you've kind of mastered something, what happens is your brain sort of just um, gets used to it and uh, just isn't challenged, right? I mean, yeah. it's like if something becomes easy, then it's not straining itself and it doesn't have to adapt. So you have to constantly be challenging it in that way. Um, thinking creatively was sort of just like, you know, try and, try and think of a, a new, new, it's not just like, oh. Uh, so is it, is it like, it's almost like uh, strengthening your muscles, but so it's almost like you're flexing your brain. So you're strengthening your brain. Is it that kind of concept? Right, right. Um, the uh, and the same thing is like do yeah. So yeah, it's it's almost like exercising your brain in a very in a very particular way. Um, and the other thing is like the the number four was uh, do things uh, the hard way, which is like <laughs> um, just the same thing. It's like if once something becomes easy for you or routine, then it, again, it's not stressing your brain. Just like, you know, if you're working out in weights, it's like, okay, if you go running and you can run, you know, this, uh, you know, mile in seven minutes, well, now you got to shoot for six minutes and 30 seconds, right? It was easy. It's not, you're, you're not really gaining so much from it anymore. Yeah. Um, 
And I guess network was a fifth one, which is like, you know, going out and talking to lots of people because that sort of forces you, 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 um, you, you're presented with new ways of thinking and new ways of seeing things. So the, which is like number one, which was seek novelty. And it sort of helps, I guess, in general. It's interesting because I was expecting you to say, you know, eat more vitamin A, you know, things like that. Yeah, no, it's not a get smarter pill. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like you need to exercise your brain just like you exercise your body. If you don't try new things, you don't challenge yourself, you don't switch it up, you don't, um, you know, uh, try and do it the hard way and don't just do it the easy way, you're just going to, your brain is just going to fall into pattern. And you just, I mean, as humans, we're sort of geared towards being efficient, right? I mean, we evolve towards efficiency because you never know how much food you're going to get. Right. So it's like your body is always wants to maximize the output based on the input. Um, and, uh, and this is just in your brain is really no different than uh, a brain is just sort of, I guess, and it's like an organ. I mean, it's a, like a muscle in a way. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was, but it's interesting that they actually did see IQ, uh, increase in IQ, um, based on these had like these, this one, the woman who was writing this article was talking about how she worked with, um, kids who have autism and Asperger's. Uh, and this one kid that had was her example. She had like an 80, who's tested as an 80 IQ. And after like X number of months of doing this sorts of stuff that he tested at hundred IQ. So it was can, a, can you, but would you mind, um, either, well, you're going to link to that article in the show notes, right? Sure. Sure. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause I'd love to see just the bullet points of that. Yeah, mm. no, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's something, you know, what's kind of funny though, is that, um, after that, uh, I have another article I read called, um, Five unexpected downsides of high intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, yeah, okay. So the, the first article is in uh, Scientific American. This is in Cracked. So take right. it for its worth. But it was pretty funny. Um, and the, the first one is that you're likely uh, a night owl, which is a bad thing. Okay. So people who are of higher IQs or intelligent tend to stay up later. But it doesn't mean just because you stay up later you're smarter. It's just that the other way around, right? Yeah. And but what happens is people who stay up later um, tend to have, uh, you know, they, can, they tend to be prone to depression if you stay up later. You tend to be, have, you're prone to like heart disease and some other things. And you, you don't sleep as well because usually when you wake up, there's other noises in the morning and things like that. So you don't get enough sleep, which is unhealthy. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of downsides to it. Um, the second is you're less likely to pass on your genes. <laughs> so, um, first of all, the more educated people are usually the less kids they have. Huh. That's, that's one thing that's for sure. And they usually, and I think there's also a correlation between social awkwardness, which of course doesn't help to towards, it doesn't, doesn't really work towards having more kids, getting married and having kids. Yeah. Um, three was you're more likely to lie. Really? Yeah. You're more likely to be a bullshitter. <laughs> Huh. <laughs> they said they they did this test that it was like they they uh, a bunch of two year olds and they're, they're different ages. Oh, what the hell? Jesus Christ! What, sorry what, about that. What was that? I I, I actually clicked on I, I, my mouse was on some ad that was on the cracked page and it brought up this <laughs> soapbox derby ad. That's I'm gonna uh, leave that in because that was funny. Great. Okay, <laughs> so um. E- you're more likely to lie because they tested these different age kids and the older the kids were, uh, okay, so what they did is they said there was cookies that was underneath this, um, in this can or something they weren't allowed to, they said, don't eat the cookies, right? And they came back like 10, 15 minutes later and they asked the kid, and of course they had a camera on and they asked the kid, did they eat the cookie? And it turned out that, you know, 90% of the two-year-olds um, told the truth, they actually ate the cookie. Yeah. 
or the cookies. And the older the kids were, the more the um, more of the kids lied about not having eaten the cookie. <laughs> so, but it turns out that the kids who were lying at an earlier age in the twos were had higher IQs. So, if your kid is bullshitting you, he's probably smart <laughs> at an early age. You know, um, the uh, the other one, the number, the fourth one is you're more likely to believe bullshit, which I thought was really funny. Um, Interesting. So what he goes, um, let's see if I can find this one. Uh, let's see if I can go. I'm sorry, my my browser page closed. So it says, um, the funny part, he goes, um, that's why the more education you get, the more likely you are to believe in, say, ghosts and the supernatural. One study found that 23% of college freshmen believed in the paranormal, compared with 31% of seniors and 34% of graduate students, which leads us to wonder, what the fuck are schools teaching these days? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, in the last one was, you're more likely to be self-destructive. Um, really? So, yeah, it's kind of the whole seeking novelty aspect of, of higher intelligence. People who are higher, more intelligent seek, seek novelty, and therefore, they try things like drugs, and, uh, and more tend to, they're more likely to be alcoholic, and you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, so... We, we, we told you how to get smarter, and now we're telling you it may not work to your advantage. <laughs> it's just better to be dumb. <laughs> just, well, there, there are downsides, you know. So, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I had anything else. I had a few other things, but uh, we can uh, cover those next week, I guess. All right. Well, uh, that's been a good show. Um, <clears throat> Dave, who, who are we interviewing this week? We're interviewing, uh, let's see. Let me sure I got his name right. Um, Guy Nurpaz. Nurpaz. I'm not sure if I pronounce his name correctly. Oh, yeah. He's from Tutango. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, Tutango. That's a, that's a great service. They used to be called SAS Pulse, but they've changed it to Tutango. And basically, you plug this service into your app, then it gives you analytical insight into your SaaS app about um, customer behavior. So it can kind of flag customers who it thinks are about to cancel things like that yeah so that's on Wednesday so that should be a good show awesome alright that's a wrap we're out welcome to episode <coughs> oh my god okay so zabba dabba dabba zabba dabba dee zabba dabba doo zabba dabba dee